0: Light Point and Education um, Pastor. Um, we haven't had a college pastor for about over three months now, going our fourth month. Um, and today, uh, the search committee we're meeting after service um, to present you to present you pre- present you a candidate, so you could vote next Sunday. Okay. That being said, that means. Uh, to vote, you had to be a member. So we ask you to sign the BTN Lightpoint Covenant, sign it, turn it in today, okay? If you don't do it today, um, you're going to be missed out on the email. We're going to send you an email to vote yes or no on this particular candidate person, okay? Uh, that being said, does a lot of reflection, soul searching, and um, um, I want to ask you for um, your forgiveness, okay? Okay? Um, in the past few weeks, I have said some stuff. I think it was um, insensitive and maybe even hurtful. Um, and so uh, I want to uh, ask you for your apologies, okay? Um, some of you were saying, particularly, Pastor, what are you particularly referring to? Is um, I, I made a comment about 4CM, and I shouldn't have not said it that way, okay? And so I would ask you to please forgive me, because I know some of you uh, um, Uh, have been to 4CM um, retreat mission um, trips, and um, some of you are involved in 4CM, okay? And I didn't mean any way, any way to take away your heart and your love uh, for missions, okay? Um, That being said, I'm not trying to make any excuses, right? And when I do wrong as a father, I ask my kids to forgive me because I'm not perfect, and I'm asking you, BTM students, to forgive me for some of my insensitive comments. Okay? Um, so I hope that's a yes. Um, okay, It's really, my heart was, is where I'm coming from. It's a couple of things, okay? And I'm just going to share and be open and candid to you all right now, okay? I've been under a lot of pressure and stress. Um, you know, we haven't had... A college pastor for three, four months, okay. And as I still pastor the Lightport Ministries, um, i trying to try to try to provide ministry to you all. It's never, it's not that easy. Um, not, not because you're not, you're difficult. I'm saying, the, the load, the load. That's that's what I'm saying, okay. Um, we remember we also had a transition with our junior high pastor, so we had to find a junior high pastor replaced uh, now ministry. But thank God, Caleb was available and. If you're called to do it, so thank God. We've had also a, our, our jam pastor, okay? For Some of you who are serving jam. Um, and, uh, you know, as much as uh, our former jam pastor did a lot of good things and um, brought a lot of good things to the ministry, um, we had to put him in church discipline um, because of his character issues and character flaws. And so we addressed it. And I'm in the process right now with him and another pastor outside TKC through the restoration process, okay? Right. And so, you know, um, I really, uh, you know, uh, that day I was under a lot of pressure and, you know, I was very, very tired too physically coming from a a recon mission trip to Ishmael, Mexico. And, you know, again, I'm truly sorry if I hurt any of you who are part of 4CM In the comments that I made, so please forgive me, okay. Um, But I want you to know my heart, where it came from, really was because um, I'm excited to be here. I mean, I'm excited what God's going to do in and through TKC in our mission endeavor, and so I just would ask you to seriously consider being part of that. Now with the coronavirus. We might not send any mission trip or mission teams, depending on you know the spread of the disease. All right. Isaac, do you want to say something or continue. we want to hurry up? No, no, continue. Oh, continue. Okay, <laughs> okay. Thank you. That's very kind of you. Okay. All right. Because I thought this is my time right now. Okay. Thanks. Okay. All right. You want some few minutes? No, no. No. Oh, okay. After, After me. me. All right. So. Um, It's because I'm very passionate about Thanksgiving church, right? Uh, I know it's not a perfect church. And you know what? Let me be honest honest with you, right? Um, Like, if you're in a family, you know all the flaws of your family, right? Your mother, your father, your brother, and your sister. And you think the other family looks so much better because they seem happy, they're smiling, and, you know, they seem better than your own family. It really does. There's there's a certain attraction to that. Like people always say, the the uh what is it? The grass is always greener on the other side. It's true. It could be, but just remember, you gotta still cut the grass. You guys, you guys didn't get it. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I know, right? Especially some of you grew up in Thanksgiving church. You've been part of the church for a long time. You see the flaws and show the shortcomings. I see it all the time. I know it, because I'm in it. You know, I interact with the elders. I interact with the pastors. I interact with you all. I interact with God's people and children. You know, and our pastors and all that stuff. And I I know, I know it. Okay, but I do know one thing. Okay, God is doing something special in and through Thanksgiving Church. Um, This couple weeks from now, we're going to be celebrating 37 years as a church. Right? That's pretty amazing. That God has been faithful for 37 years, despite our shortcomings and failures right? And I have a big heart. Like, just trust me. I just want you to know this. I have a huge heart for missions. I do, okay? And in many of you know I serve in the military, and as a military, I was a missionary, really, okay? And I've had some long mission trips to Iraq twice and once to Afghanistan, all right? And so, uh, you know, I, I understand the challenges of being a missionary, all right? And, but our heart is really right, to have you, invite you to come be part of it, whether our short-term Mexican mission trip or rather short-term Turkey mission trip, okay, or our inner city mission trip that we're going to do. We're going to invite uh, Pastor Steve Shin to come this Friday to talk about the inner city uh, mission that he does and wants, okay? The whole purpose of that, right, I want you to hear this, okay? The whole purpose of these mission trips, right, is that God will move in your heart, that you would be open to the work of God and the move of God so that you would commit your life to lifetime, long-term mission endeavor, okay? And so that's really where my heart's coming from, okay? Okay. I have nothing against 4CM, right? But I am more for TKC. You know why? Because this is my home church, okay? Now, for example, like, I live in a neighborhood with a lot lot of homes and a lot of families, I don't have nothing against these families in my neighborhood. I don't. I just have more favoritism with my own family, my own home. And so one of the things that we want to create in your hearts is this. The BTM, I know it's a season, right? You graduate college, you're gone. And one of the things that we were trying to create in you is that you take ownership of this church because because you are the future of Thanksgiving Church. And KM people are going to, one day, pass away. Not that we wish them to die, okay? You laugh, but I'm serious. Like you know, we have a funeral in the KM site every week. Like I'm going to another funeral this Thursday for a you know quansanim. <laughs> you know, quansanim means in Korean an uh, older lady in the church, okay? You know, really, literally, we have a funeral almost every week in the KM site, right? And who's going to replace? those prayer warriors. Who's gonna replace those missionaries? Do you know by the way, we don't have any missionaries coming out of from KM side right now. Right? It's you guys. And so I just want to invite you to seriously consider, right? To be our missionary so we could support you and send you out for long term, for a lifetime commit, commitment to the mission field. Okay? So that being said, again, I am truly sorry if I hurt you for the comments I made about 4 CM. Okay? All right. Thank you. Isaac, you want to say something? Uh, uh,
1: okay. Um yeah, so this wasn't planned. And um, but I just felt it really heavy on my heart because as as you guys are getting older, as you guys are climbing the leadership ladder, you know how the l- how lonely it gets and how much how harder it gets, right? Um, and I just felt like we as BTM and as staff, we uh, us first, have failed in honoring Pastor Ed um, with prayer and with love and grace. Because for Pastor Ed to come up here, he's, are you in your early 50s? Easy, okay. Let's say late 40s, all right? <laughs> late 40s, to come and uh, ask for an apology, um, or oh, no, not ask for apology. Ask for forgiveness to a bunch of twenty-year-olds or twenty-somethings. That takes a that takes some real humility, and I think we as a community need to honor that, um, because it's when we honor that because it's only when we honor that that we can become like that. Does that make sense? And so, um, I feel like we if we can just lift out and reach out our hands towards Pastor Ed, because it's still going, right? This transition's still going, and. I feel like we just need to pray for Pastor Ed and honor him. Um for all the work that he does behind the scenes, um, and all the things that all the hardships that he's had to deal with so that we wouldn't have to deal with them. Right? Um, as you guys are getting older, you see how much your parents have struggled for you guys. It's the same way. Um, and so if we can just uh, right now just extend our hands just to Pastor Ed and just for like a minute or two just pray out, um Just a prayer of thanksgiving and honoring and respect and love. And if you could just pray out loud, that would be good. Let's pray. Father, God, I just want to take this moment to honor and respect um, and lift up, Lord Father God, our, our, um, our older brother, Lord um, Pastor Ed. Um, he's been so faithful, Lord Father God, and uh, you know his, um, each and every tear that has fallen from his eyes, Lord Father God, every tear that was shed for us, for the church, for LifePoint, Lord Father God, all of the lonely moments, Lord Father God, where no one understood him but you. But God, you see, you saw him in those moments, Lord Father God, and you are honoring him today. So, Lord, would we would can uh, would we join together in that honoring, Lord, and say thank you from the from the depths of our heart, Lord Father God, despite his shortcomings, despite his weaknesses, despite all of that, Lord Father, may we see the love that He has for B T M, God, and would you continue to anoint him uh, with wisdom and discernment, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would overflow in his heart, Lord, and that. Um, through him, God, that we would um, hear words of splendor, God, your words uh, that would bring down your kingdom, Lord, um, into this very room, and God, I ask that uh, for the hearts of uh, B- uh, our BTM staff and students, Lord, that we may um, walk, Lord Father God, to, uh, towards faithfulness, Lord Father God, and being more humble, Lord, and being more gracious, and being more loving, God, towards our leaders, Lord, that we would be uh, men and women who exemplify um, the cross, Lord. Um, so we love you so much, and we love Pastor Ed, God. We love him, and I ask that um, I I pray, Lord, that he would he would truly know that we are thankful for him, God. Despite that, uh, despite our lack of um, uh, telling him so to his face, God, uh, we love him so much. Thank you for this pastor, and in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.
0: Thank you. Uh, I feel so loved by you all. Uh, it's really, I'm it's so, so blessed uh, to serve you as BTM currently, um, but we're going to get a BTM pastor, okay? I promise you that, okay? It's coming, and I want to thank you for your patience, okay, and thank you for your understanding, um, and yeah, yeah, I, I am a little older, okay? <laughs> I didn't say oh, a little older, and maybe I don't understand or relate to you generation, but I want you to, I want you to know one thing, okay? I love you with a fatherly heart. Um, and if you would ever come for advice or for counseling, I would give you, this, would give you the same advice and counseling that I would do my own daughters and my own sons. Okay, And so, again, thank you for your um, graciousness, um, and I do thank you for, you know, uh, for honoring. Uh, but I'm not here really to be honored, okay? Uh, I'm here because I love you all. And, um, and really, I'm honored. I'm honored to have this opportunity this past few months to get to know you, to preach to you, to pray with you, uh, and to do life and ministry with you. Okay? All right. With that, uh, I want to share one other thing that got us placed in my heart before we go into the Word. All right. Um, so I rarely ever get waking up in the middle of the night. You know why? Anyone know Why? Because when I go down in my bed, I go deep down in my bed, <laughs> okay? I mean, I, I, like, it takes me a, just a few minutes to fall asleep, and I'm, I'm down from the count. Because mm-hmm. I work literally 12 to sometimes 14 hours a day, right? I start my day 530 in the morning and do go early morning prayer. Do you know why? Because I'm on my knees praying for you guys. I made that commitment uh, this season that I will not miss early morning prayer unless I'm out of town, Okay? Uh, to pray for you, to, that God will send us the right pastor, and to hold you and to keep you in the Lord, okay? Um, and so I rarely get waking up in the middle of the night. And so this past Wednesday, all right, uh, I, I got, I woke up around past, a little past midnight, and, um, and I wanted to go back to sleep. But I just couldn't go back to sleep, okay? And I was wrestling, and I was wondering, Lord, what's going on? You know, what are you trying to say to me, Okay? And 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 again, I don't use this often, or I don't say this lightly. Like like the Lord impressed my heart to do something, but on Wednesday night, um, a, a a scripture verse came to my heart and my mind. It was in Matthew chapter twenty six, verse forty one. It says this: Jesus says, "Disciples, watch and pray that you may not fall into temptation." The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Man, the flesh is weak, isn't it? Our spirit is so willing, and, you know, and my heart is so willing, and in many of you, our spirits are willing, but we are so weak. And so I didn't know what, that, what, what the Lord was trying to impress in my heart, okay? So I shared this with our pastors and said, hey, um, this is what God has placed in my heart. What do you think that God is saying to us, Okay. And so, um, um, the word "watch" in the Greek comes from the idea called "be vigilant, be alert." It's actually a term they will use in a, a soldier when they stand in guard. Okay, it means to be be watchful or to stand in guard for the attack of the enemy. And I'm telling you right now, for this past three or four months, okay, I have we have as pastors. Sense a real, real heavy spiritual attack, okay, on us as pastors and our ministries. Okay, um, let, me, let me show some few things that, I, that, that, that maybe indicate like uh, the attack of the enemy, right? Is this one, this past week we had two of our Life Point brothers, right, relapse um, with drug use and had to be sent into Salvation Army. Two of our brothers at the same week. Three weeks ago, one of our brothers in Light Point uh, accidentally uh, overdosed and passed away. His name was Jason. What is that? It is definitely depression and attack of the enemy. It really is. Because why? The Bible says Satan comes to steal, to destroy, and to kill. That is his objective. Okay? Our objective as a church is to what? Resist the devil and counterattack his assault with prayer. Come on. Right? So I brought it up to Pastor Kuhl. right? And Pastor Kuhl said, you know what? Um, we need to get the elders approval. Right? And so this is the whole connection with the coronavirus. right? You know, right now, Saddam Church, they don't even meet for worship. Churches that shut down because of the coronavirus. Now, I'm not saying that... They're, you know, overreacting, okay? But I am saying that. <laughs> <laughs> All right? Okay? Now, we want to be precautious, right? You want to wash your hands, okay? If, if, if you have somebody at school, at work, that's coughing and sneezing, tell them to go home. Tell them to go home and, like, get well until you come back. No, I'm serious. But the reality is this, right, okay? Is that those who are young and healthy with a strong immune system, will not be affected by it, right? It's those who are what? Elderly, those who are chemotherapy because of the immune system being weakened by the radiation, those with, uh, who AIDS because that attacks the immune system, and, you know, other people with health issues and diabetes and stuff like that, all right? So, yes, should we take precaution? Yes. Yes, of course. Okay? But let's not overreact for another strain of flu virus, It really is a strain of flu virus, right? But that being said, and so um, the elders have asked us not to meet in house churches, okay? And and, uh, we made that clear. We asked asked our life groups not to meet at life groups, okay? Because one of the things that we found out from the, you know, the Korean uh, cult in Daegu, that's where almost 40% of the cases in Korea are coming from. Because there was a missionary from their cult group went to Wujan, which is the the (laughs) ground zero for coronavirus, came back infected, and they were meeting in small, like, uh, closed quarter rooms, okay, in homes. Thus it spread. That's why we're asking you for now, temporary, not to meet at house churches or life groups. But that being said, okay, I didn't know the elders were going to approve. I just got the word from Elder John they approved. You know what they approved us? To do services. Right, right now we're doing it. But one of the things that the pastors and I, we, came up, we, we, we all agreed to do is a night of prayer. Okay, We're going to call it watch and prayer night. Okay? Watch and prayer night. It's going to start tomorrow, Monday. And Monday through Friday from 7 to 9 o'clock. BTM staff, sorry for not bringing this up to you guys. I just got approval from the elders as I was walking in, so we could do this evening prayer nights, all right? Whether we have live music or rather we don't, we just want you to come instead of meeting at house churches, or, or if you don't meet, right, going out to the restaurants and wasting your money, okay? We want you to come and pray and pray and stand. And this, this is the ideal, okay, guys? This is what we like to do. Uh, whether you come for all two hours, that's up to you, but we're going to ask you to commit one hour, one hour. Whether you come every night or you come at least once a night. One hour of watching and praying. And this is what we want you to do in that one hour period. Whether you come at 7 to 8, 7.30 to 8.30, or, 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 or 8 to 9. Okay? Yeah, I know. I'm not that good with math. Okay? Is <laughs> we want you to, we feel that we want you to read the, the books of the prophets. From Isaiah to Malachi. Okay, for the first 30 minutes, and then take the next 30 minutes to pray. Why? Why are the prophets so important? Because they were called to watch and call the nation and call God's people to repentance, right? And so we're going to go study together from the book of Isaiah. There's not going to be preaching or teaching. We want you to come with your Bibles, read, starting from the book of Isaiah, okay? and read 30 minutes, whether you're a slow reader or fast reader. It's up to you, okay? And then take the next 30 minutes to pray. And so this room will be open from Monday through Friday night. How long we're going to go with this? We're going to go to the day of Pentecost. Now, people don't know this. There's actually a day in the church calendar called the day of Pentecost, right? It's usually 50 days. It's 50 days. Penta means 50, right, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus was the first fruit, which I'm going to preach on today. I'm just, you know, I haven't even started preaching yet, okay? Okay. And then the day of Pentecost was a, fe- it was a festival in the Old Testament, right, to celebrate the harvest. It's like the Jewish version of Thanksgiving. You guys, I don't know if you guys knew this or not, okay? Because people think Pentecost, or oh, Pentecostal, right? No, it started from the Old Testament, the day of Pentecost. And it aligned it, it exactly the day Jesus Christ died, and then 50 days later, it fell on the day of Pentecost. And what was significant? of that first Sunday of the day of Pentecost, what was the significant? The Holy Spirit came. The church was birthed. And God moved in a mighty way and sent the people of God all over the world, the apostles and disciples and God's people to, from J- Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the other parts of the world to preach the gospel. But how did the move of God take, happen? How did the move of God um, come about? It was because God's people, the 120, right, of the disciples and followers of Jesus, they stayed in the upper room. And what did they do? They prayed. They prayed. I long to see the mighty move of God. I long and I hunger for the move of God. I'm talking about a genuine move of God. I'm not talking about fabrication. I know sometimes I get harsh on some of these charismatic movements because when I see it, it's fabrication. It's not the move of God because it doesn't produce repentance. It doesn't, repent, it doesn't produce holiness. And so I'm not against the gifts of the Holy Spirit or the move of the Holy Spirit. I just want to see the genuine move of God. I'm talking about the mighty move of God. Not something we fabricate with loud music and smoke and glitter and dancing and flag waving. I mean, uh, nothing against that, okay? I'm just, okay? My my point is that I hunger for a genuine move of God in my life, in your life, in our church. So would you join me from now till May 29th, which is Friday, okay? A time of prayer. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. So this will be open from 7 to 9 o'clock. Come. Come on. Let's do this. Let's seek the Lord. Let's resist the enemy. Let's resist the devil. Let's stand our ground. Let's seek God for the mighty move of the Holy Spirit. And so I'm asking both Lightpoint, BTM, and all the education department, and all the pastors, right, from now to Epic to Sunland and Jam, and Pastor DK and I, we're all on board. So come, let's see, let's join, let's seek the Lord together and see a genuine, mighty move of God. Amen? amen. All right. Does that mean, is that a yes? Come okay. On. Come on. Just listen, guys. Days of lip service to God is over. Okay? All right? Days of saying amen and yes, and we don't show it's over. Because God is separating the sheep from the goats. God is separating the wheat from the tares, and what makes the difference between the lukewarm, the goats, and the tares are people are willing to pray, to sacrifice. That's what Jesus says. Can you? He said to the disciples, "Can you not tarry for an hour? Can you not tarry for an hour? Can you not seek in the Lord, the Father, for an hour, just an hour, just for an hour?" They couldn't. You know why they couldn't? They didn't have the Holy Ghost. (laughs) The Holy Ghost hasn't come. But when the Holy Ghost came, these apostles and the disciples literally transformed their world in less than 50 years. Less than 50 years. And that's the same movement I want to see. I hope you want to see that too. Right? And we always talk about, like, you know, contending for the nation. Yes, pray for our nation. But revival doesn't start outside. It starts right here in our hearts, in our churches. That's where revival starts. With repentance and prayer. To be vigilant in praying. So come, join me. Let's, let's go to battle together. Let's go to battle against the enemy. Let's go battle for the kingdom of God. That Jesus says, the kingdom of God suffer violence. You know what that means? And the violent take it by force. That means that the kingdom of God is not for the faint-hearted, or the weak or the double-minded or the wishy-washy or the lukewarm. It takes people who are committed for the gospel, committed to prayer, committed to the word, committed to reaching the lost. That's how the kingdom of God is expanded. And so I'm excited what God is doing and God is doing in my heart. God is doing in our pastors. And I want you to come and join us. Amen. With that, turn your Bibles to First Corinthians. First Corinthians, chapter 15. Emily, could you give me, have her go to my office? Could you give me a bottle of water for me? Thank you, sweetie. <laughs> Thank you, sweetie. I always serve her at home. You know, Dad, could you give me this? Give me that. I, you know, I'm, I'm always hooking her up. She could hook me up once in a while. Amen. Okay. All right. Hey, BT, I love you guys. I do, really do. I really do. Um, And uh, I'm excited what God's going to do in BTN Life Point Ministries. But with that, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Starting from verse 20. I'm just going to read a few verses. We're going to cover from verses 20 to 34. But let me start off from reading from verse 20. But it says here, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first of those who have fallen asleep. Thank you, sweetie. And fallen asleep. Verse 21: For as by one man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own odor, Christ the first fruits, even at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Verse 24: Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. Verse twenty-five: For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in submission under his feet. But when he says all things are put in submission, it is plain that he, an accepted, who put all things in subjection under him, in verse twenty-eight. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. So, taking from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to cover a little bit more verses, but I just read to you from verses 20 to 28. I titled this sermon, The Triumph of the Resurrection. The Triumph of the Resurrection. But before we look into this text, let me just introduce you to the monumental reality of the resurrection by painting a little historical uh, background. Anybody history majors? Raise your hand. Nobody, okay? Um, I love history, but I didn't major in history. You know, you know why? Too much writing. Um, I never liked writing. Uh, um, I'm learning to write now, but uh, uh, but... History is something I really enjoy. That's why I like to watch the History Channel. Come on, okay? (laughs) But time and history of the world has been marked by world-changing events. Hasn't it, right? I know in the daily ebb and the flow of life, things may seem rather routine, but here and there, rather colossal events occur and they become the turning points in the history of man and the destiny of man. And as you look back at history, you can see the peak of human history and in the, in the, in the crisis, in crisis points or turning points of events, times, people, and places. The seasons that mark new ways of thinking, new ways of doing things. Now, some of you are going to be blown away. When I went to college, we didn't have the Internet. Now, think about that. Didn't have the Internet. And then we take advantage granted of having the internet and you click on it, you know, and scroll and you have the information. But we actually have to go to the library, check out a book, and read it. Those times are gone now, isn't it? Yeah. But even the internet has changed, right? But the but the tremendous peak of human history, listen, church, is the resurrection. Christ's life, death, and resurrection literally split time in half. That's why. We have split time to B.C. to what? A.D. It's a tremendous event. It was the most monumental event. And the fact that the resurrection rises above every other event in human history. The monumental nature of the resurrection. It was the greatest turning point in, in, the, in the history of mankind. And as I survey history from the Lord's day to the present. And when I say the Lord's day, is the day... Jesus lived and, and died and rose from the dead and ascended to heaven. There were several things that stood in my mind. I want to share that with you. First of all, okay, next to the resurrection, the second most significant event was the council at Jerusalem in the book of Acts chapter 15. And you can read it on your own. The apostles met together with the leaders of the Jerusalem church, and all of them had come out of Judaism. Right? What was Judaism? What was their heritage? It was legalism. It's like how to keep the law so I could be accepted by God to gain salvation by obeying the works of righteousness. But the Council of Jerusalem in Acts 15 determined that salvation was by grace and not by law. So you and I take it for granted of it, because we know that. But you gotta understand, they came of history and history and heritage of legalism, of religion. Or formality. And they declared it was by faith, not by works. And that it was a monumental turning point in history. So it was the starting of the death of legalism. Now from 70 AD to around 300 AD, what was going on? The church was being persecuted. There was severe persecution. Christians were being uh, persecuted. And many believers were martyred for their faith. And by the way, I want to encourage you to read the book, by Fox's Book of Martyrs, right? John Fox called the Book of Martyrs. Every Christian should read it. Every Christian should know the sacrifice that the the beginning church made for their faith and for our our heritage. But in that time, around 300, there was a Roman uh, Caesar. He was one of four, actually, because they all claimed the Roman Empire, and his name particularly was Constantine. And Constantine, right before going to battle with the three other generals who claimed to be the ruler of Rome or Caesars, in the middle of the night, Constantine had a vision. God gave him this vision. And the vision was a cross. And he was not a Christian at that time. And then a voice came to Constantine and said, rise up the cross and you shall receive victory. And so he made all his soldiers, with the flag or banner, put a cross on it, painted in red, and went into battle against three other generals. And he came out victorious. His stories tell us that he was, quote, converted to Christian faith. He was so zealous for the Christian faith. You know what he did? He made Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire. Now, is that a good thing? Was it a bad thing? But see, the human heart, right, always leans for sin. And so, what happened was this. So, the church now became a church state. Thus, the birth of the Catholic, the Roman Holy Catholic Church, became the state right. That's why the Roman Catholic Church started to baptize infants. Because why? Because Constantine ordered everyone to become a Christian. And part of being a Christian is baptism. So they start baptizing everybody. Children, non-believers, pagans. Didn't matter if you had a personal faith or not. They all were converted through baptism. But you and I know baptism doesn't save no one. It just gets you wet. And Christianity, from a personal relationship... Living with a living Christ now became formality and a religion and void of true conversion. And out of that observation or absorption of the church into the state, the Roman Catholicism engulfed the whole world at that time, literally the world they'd known at that time, centuries of centuries of spiritual darkness which ushered the world into what we call today in history, the Dark Ages. The Dark Ages. Why was it the Dark Ages? Because what? People were not permitted to read the Bible. Did you know that? Did you know that during that time, that service was conducted in a dead language called Latin? No one spoke it except the priest. And some of the priests didn't even know what they were saying. And the world went into a horrible Dark spiritual period at that time. We call it the dark ages. By the way, you know, when the coronavirus was um, you know, spreading, I did some little research. Like I typed in you know, on Google, like, like how many people died for the black plague? It was, it was, it was, it was spread during the, the dark ages. You guys know that, right? It was the black rats that spread the disease. At that time, the people didn't know science, like how disease and germs spread. I found out that an estimate, 25 to 30 million people died. Because of the black plague. Let me, put it, let me put it in proportion, okay? Listen. They say over 40% of the European world at that time, known at that time. Remember, at that time, they thought the world was flat too. Okay? I I, I heard somebody recently thought that the world was flat and he was trying to prove it and, you know, wrap himself in a rocket and try to fly over the flat, whatever. And, you know, he didn't make it. Okay? Okay. Uh, Listen, the world is not flat, guys. It's round, okay? Just saying, brothers and sisters. (laughs) Jeez. But what happened was this. 40% of the world at known at that time, this is an estimate, 40% of people died of the black plague. Okay? So let's put that in comparison to the coronavirus, all right? Put it into perspective. So if the Council of Jerusalem was the triumph of grace over legalism, The coming of Constantine spared the triumph of dead religion over true religion. The triumph of ritualism over a genuine relationship with God. And it stayed that way for centuries until the next great event. Anybody want to guess what the next great event was? The Reformation. Who said it? Who said it? Ding dong dang. Give that guy 20 (laughs) points. (laughs) Give that guy 20 points. Amen. The Reformation, which is also called the Protestant movement. Okay. That's what we call, the churches, and, you know, Christians are called the Protestantism, right? It's the Protestant movement. Became the triumph of personal salvation and the rebirth of salvation by grace through faith. The Reformation is basically founded in the simple statement found in scripture, the just shall live by faith. And God used a man named Martin Luther. Who was he? He was a monk. He was an Augustan monk, totally devoted to the Catholic faith. He did all the religious requirements. He did all the catechisms. He did all that was required of a monk. He even even crawled on his knees, the steps of the Roman uh, uh, steps to the uh, Vatican, on his knees. And when he came up to the top, instead of feeling liberated and free and forgiven, he writes that he fell into more dispositions. And despair. And depression. He was at a point of suicide. But you know what God did? God led him to read and study the book of Romans. Wow. Even the monks didn't read the Bible at that time. Even the monks. And he read the book of Romans. And when he read it, he found that the just shall live by faith. And out of the Reformation movement came five things that affects us today, even today. It's this. Faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, scripture alone, and the glory of God alone. Amen. In Latin, it's sola fira, sola gratia, sola Christa, sola scriptura, and sola de gloria. Amen. Wow, that's awesome. And forever changed the course of history. Let me tell you how much the Reformation moved and changed history. Because the Reformation taught that each individual is important. That you and I are created in the image of God. That each individual could come to God himself directly through Jesus Christ and approach the throne of God in the time of mercy. Because why? All this time they had to go through the church. They had to go through the Pope. They had to go to the priest. But now, because of the Reformation, the idea of the priesthood of the believer, that every one of you have access to the throne of God, every one of you are a minister unto the Lord, changed everything. What do you mean? What happened, Pastor Ed? Well, it created individualism, that you're not the property of the state anymore, that you belong to God, which spawned, guess what? The Renaissance movement and the Enlightenment, and people start reading. You know, they start reading. You know what they start reading? The Bible. And by the way, the first book that was ever printed by the printing press was the Bible. Coincidence? I don't think so. God moved invention that He could take the Word of God. And Martin Luther translated the Vulgate translation the latin version of the bible into the german language and his goal was to take the bible to every individual Now, take this out right this is crazy this is crazy thinking martin Luther's goal was to have a german bible for every individual i know you and i take for granted of it you know why i know you take for granted of it every sunday i find a bible come on now church Every said, I have a collection of Bibles. But at that time, people didn't have their own Bibles. People didn't read their own Bibles. A lot of times, people didn't even know how to read. But God used the printing press to produce Bibles by the masses. And individuals started reading the Bible. And they realized, I'm created in the God's image. That I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And it literally birthed the Renaissance and Enlightenment movement. And, and, and where did that come from? What came out of that? The Industrial Revolution. Man started producing, inventing, creating, becoming educated. The common person were able to read and have logic and start businesses. And by the way, the whole concept of democracy, which is a foreign concept, until the pilgrims came from Holland into uh, with the Mayf- Mayflower, sorry, right? And landed in America. The whole idea of democracy, was birthed from the biblical ideal that each individual is endowed by his creator and created, what? To worship him. That's the truth of history. And so man became more and more proud of their invention and all the wonders that gave rise to the fact that people, right? And what happened was that out of that was birthed secular humanism they forgot history church never forget history cuz if you forget history you will forget the mistakes that was made in the past and man became proud just like the at the time of the tower of babel they wanted to create a, a, a tower to reach the heavens and so for centuries right man became advanced in science and in medicine invention and forgot history that these blessings, these blessings came from the God of the creation himself. And as, the, as, as history moved towards the 20th century, communication increased. Drastically. Drastically. Think about it. Right? From smoke signals to Morse code, okay, to the telephone, now to the cell phone. Communication information has drastically grown. And man thought that he could solve all his problems. Man thought that he was able to solve all his issues through science and through reason. But then the turn of the century happened. What happened? World War I. World War II. Millions have died. And the invention of the atomic bomb, the Korean War, the Vietnam War fighting against communism. And the possibility of a nuclear holocaust was real, very real, in the 60s and the 70s. Today, we have enough nuclear warheads to destroy the Earth 20 times over. You would think one time is enough, right? We have two states right now, in North Korea and Iran, who vow to create a nuclear warhead to send it to the Western world and destroy all of Europe and destroy all of the all of the US. These are the times we're looking at. See, church, listen. Despite all the secular humanism boast, despite all the abilities of a man, of his creation, of his creativity, of his education, of his science, man cannot solve the greatest dilemma. You know what it is? Sin! Man can't change the heart. That's why even today with all our advances in sciences and education and universities and all the books and all the information that we have, we still are battling what? Bigotry, racism, war, genocide. Why? Because man is not lack of education. Man is lack of transformation of the heart. That is the issue at hand. That is the issue at hand. That's why the resurrection of Jesus is truly significant. It's the resurrection of Jesus. Listen, the death of Jesus dealt with your sin, but the resurrection dealt with your transformation. To give you new life. And so today, as we look at this text, I just want to show you quickly four points. Are you with me here? All right. One, the resurrection triumphed over depravity. Two, the resurrection triumph over death. Third, the resurrection triumph over dominance. And the resurrection triumph over despair. So let's look at, look with me to verse 20 now. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20 to 25. Oh my gosh, excuse me. I, I thought it was 2.30, 2.21, and it's 3.21. Wow, my bad. Can somebody fix that clock? Okay, I thought I had like another hour to preach. Man, my bad. All right, sorry. Okay. All right, first point, triumph over depravity. Look at verse 20 to 23. But in fact, Christ was raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. I don't want to get too much into that. But the point is that Christ was the first fruit, meaning he's not the first one who rose from the dead. Remember? Who else rose from the dead before Jesus? Lazarus did. Anybody in the Old Testament rise from the dead? Who? Come on. Yeah. What is it? The widow's son, right, that Elijah prayed for, right? Prophet Elijah. Okay, all right, good, thank you. But so what, 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 what happened to them? Guess what happened? They end up dying again. <laughs> Why are you laughing? But it's true. Jesus became the first fruit because he was the one who raised from the dead and he did not die again. Do you understand? And so for verse 21, for as by man came death. By a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. What is Paul doing? He's comparing two men. The man, Adam, or Adam, means literally means the man, right? Adam means the man, okay? Right. You're, you're, listen, okay, you're not the man. Adam is the man, okay? And then, in Christ is the, the second Adam. Look at verse 22. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own, Christ the first, then all his coming, those who belong to Christ. So, what is Paul saying? When Adam sinned, Adam plunged all men into a state of sinfulness. We are all born, as theologians call it, with original sin. Another term of that is called the depravity of man. The depravity of man. Okay? And what is the depravity of man? Is this. Let me tell you what it is and what is not. First of all, the deprivity of man basically says that man cannot save himself, spiritually speaking. Okay. Now, it does not mean that man cannot do any good. Man, even in his deprived state, right, with his original sin, sinful nature, we call it, born with this sinful nature. And by the way, okay, man is not a sinner because they sin, they sin because they're a sinner. Do you understand? Right. Like, for example, let me give you an example, okay? Uh, um, de- dealing with a brother who's struggling with his sexual identity. Okay? Um, really, um, the sin of homosexuality. Okay? Now, there is an ideal concept people talk about that people are born gay. Right? Now, first of all, there isn't no gay gene. Right? There, is that proper English? That's horrible English. There isn't what we call something called gay gene, okay? But when people say that I'm born gay, there's some truth to that. Let me explain why. If homosexuality, right, is sin, it's part of the sinful nature. And so some people, they are born with the tendency, right, or the vulnerability to fall into that sin easier than others, You understand what I'm saying here? Okay? So when someone says, I'm born gay, and some people say, I know I was gay when I was four years old, don't disregard that. Okay? Because they were born with a sinful nature. And so what happens is that unless by the grace of God, unless with help and counseling and love and support, they're easily prone to fall into that sin. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because it's a sinful nature. It's part of the sinful depravity of man. That's what the Bible describes. That's why man needs to be rescued from sin, rescued from, his, from himself. Right. Now, what depravity of man doesn't say is this: it doesn't say that man can do any good. Because why? We are you and I are still created in God's image, right. and even like the worst people. Could do good. Remember, that's what Jesus said. Even the unrighteous father gives their children what? Do they give him stones when they want a bread? No, they give him bread. Do they give him serpent? Right? No, they give him meat. Jesus realized that. Like, for example, I know you are not born in the 80s, okay? But I grew up in the 80s, okay? All right, just saying. In the 80s, rock. Come on. All right? 80s had the best music. Now, back in the 80s, what happened, there was a horrible disease called AIDS. No one understood that. No one knew what was going on. We knew one thing, it was predominantly spread in the gay community. And it was horrible. People dying of AIDS. Now, we know more about AIDS now, right? And we have medicine to help people live even with AIDS. I have a friend who was infected by AIDS because she had a blood transfusion. When she gave birth and she lost a lot of blood, and um, at that time they didn't know she's affected by AIDS, but she lives a healthy life with the medication, she even runs marathons. Thank God for the advanced medicine with that stuff, all right? Okay. But I remember um, um, they wanted to raise funds for the African kids in, in, in Africa who are affected by AIDS, because millions of children will be dying. Some parts of Africa in countries, 30-40 percent of people die because of AIDS. That's crazy. And so they came up with this group called, uh, I think it was called um, AIDS Africa or Love Africa. I forgot. I just know the song, right? They got all the superstars of the rock groups, you know, like Cindy, uh, uh, what's her name? Cindy Loffer and Michael, George Michael and Boy George and uh, um, Bono. Uh, is that his name? Right? You two? Right? All these great singers. And they came up with this beautiful song. We are the world. We are the children. Right? You, guys that? You, know, you guys remember that song? Okay. These are a bunch of heathen, secular, ungodly, pagan, drug-using fornicators who came up with the beautiful song, raised millions of dollars to help kids with AIDS. It was that a good thing or a bad thing? It's a good thing. But you know what? Still, man cannot save his soul. That's the depravity of man. But because Christ died and rose from the dead, that's what Paul says here. Therefore, as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Because Christ rose from the dead and the resurrection triumphed over man's depravity. Amen. Second, the triumph over death. Look at verse 25 to 26. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is what? The last enemy is what? Death itself. The last enemy is death. And death will will be destroyed. And it has been destroyed when Christ died on the cross. Remember the Bible says what? The wages of sin is what? Death. But the gift of God through Jesus Christ is what? Life. Jesus died on the cross. And I want you to, I want you to, I just want you to feel this, okay, church? And I want you to know this. Not just feel, but I want you to know this, BTN, okay? When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he took and felt the full impact of your sin and my sin. Not only your sin and my sin, he took the full impact of the sins of the world and the billions of people that was born. He took it all. He took it all in his body, and his body was nailed on the cross. And when he was on that cross, hallelujah, he said, it is finished. What do you mean? It's paid for. It's all paid for. As the great hymn says, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Right? He paid it all. It is finished. There's nothing that you and I could add on to it or subtract it. That his death on the cross was more than sufficient to forgive you of your sins and to triumphant over death. And when he was buried in that third day, all the hell and every demon and all the power of the Roman Empire could not keep Jesus in the tomb. Amen. The resurrection of Jesus triumphed over death. Three days later, he came out of that grave. And it was an act that conquered sin and death. Though he took the blunt of sin, though he took the full force of sin, the resurrection power could not keep Jesus in the grave. So what does that mean to you and I? It means this. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45. 54 to 55 says this When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written Death is swallowed up in victory. Right? It's swallowed up. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Right? Every one of you, if you lost a loved one, a friend, a family member, right? Over death, you felt the sting of death, right? It's a sting. But it's not a mortal thing, amen. See, when Jesus died on the cross, He put a mortal, mortal death on death itself, amen. And so we have victory in Christ's resurrection; triumphs over death itself. Third, triumph over dominance. Now, Pastor, would you get this? Now, this verse is a little tricky, so stay with me here, okay? All right, are you with me? Are you paying attention? All right, stop playing with your hair. <laughs> Love you. All right. You know, I, I, I thought I would never said that to a guy, right? <laughs> Usually I would tell a girl, stop playing with your hair. Hey, shh. All right, let's move on. <laughs> Love you, bro. Okay, all right. Okay, okay, okay. All, right. all right. Verse 27. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. Now this is a tongue twister here, verse twenty-eight. Right, stay with me here. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. What in the world, Paul saying? I mean, it's like like word. Right, play on words. Right, subjection and. Under, all right, here's the idea of what Paul is trying to say here, okay? Is this. He's going back to the book of Genesis. Remember why? What's the context? He talked about the first Adam. And when he sinned, he plunged all men into sin, right? And then the second Adam, Adam, who came and who's freed us from the dominance or the subjection of sin itself and death. This year, right, go to verse 27 again, the last part, and quote, all things are put in subjection. What happened? When Adam sinned, he did not just usher sin into the world, but it he, he contaminated the whole creation. When God created Adam, what did he tell Adam to do? What did he say? Take dominion over the earth. Did he not say that? He said rule over the animals and care for them. And God even gave Adam a job. What a great job. What was that job? Naming the animals. I think Adam's first job was a zoologist. <laughs> right? He had to go by naming all the animals. But what happened was this. When sin came in, when Adam sinned, instead of man became dominance over the creation, the creation became dominance over man. Man became a slave to this creation. Being subjected under the fall of creation. Pastor where would you get that from? Listen, I never put out, I, I, don't, I don't like get things out of an empty hat. All right? I, I'm not a magician. Okay? It's in the Bible. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. Look what it says here. You should not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you, meaning uh, Adam. In pain, you should eat of it all the days of your life. What does that mean? That it's going to take effort. To prepare a meal. And you think about that. Back then, Adam had all he could eat. Remember what God said in the garden? Eat all the fruit you want. It's all yours. Just don't eat that one, that one, that one fruit, right? The tree from the, not as good and evil. But man could not resist temptation. And he fell. But now because of sin, it's now difficult, right? To prepare a meal. Now, now, you and I live in a, such a luxury country that we just put something in a microwave for two minutes and, dang, it's ready to eat. Okay. But you know how difficult process it is to, like, get a piece of patty, you know, for your in and out hamburger? You got to get a cow. You got to slit his throat, drain his blood, skin his skin, chop up the meat. If it's a ground beef, you got to put it in a machine and grind it all together. Then you gotta put in a little patty. Then you gotta freeze it. Then you gotta put it on a truck or a ship. Somebody's to deliver it to the market. Somebody has to go to and buy it. Then someone has to put. Wow! Okay? You think that was difficult? How about the American Indians? They had to actually go into the woods with a bow and arrow and hunt down an animal to have a little what? In and out. What is that? It's the effect of sin on the creation. It caused an effect. And man, instead of becoming dominant over the creation, the creation becomes dominant and we become a slave to it. N- n- let me give you a case in point. All right, Let me give you a case in point. How many of your parents are born in Korea in, or, or China and immigrated as first generation? Right, Most of us, right? My mom and dad, okay? I never saw my mom and dad. Because you know why? They worked literally 14, 16 hours a day. Right? right. Why did they have worked so hard? Because why? They were in survival mode. They were sheer survival mode. How to provide for my sister and I, how to pay for our home, how to pay for our school, how to pray for like 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 I never went to a doctor when I was growing up. Like, like we had to like break something, like literally break something, right? To go to the doctor. Now thank God I didn't break anything when I was growing up, so I never had to go to the doctor. But if I did, I don't even know my parents would tick with their doctor. Yeah. my parents put a rub me some uh, aloe vera on me. Okay. <laughs> but I remember growing up and watching my parents. My parents was always like, "I go, I 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 go." It's like, man, I guess old people do that now, right? Now you know what? You know what happens now? I do that now. I go, I go, I go. Like, I, like, sit down on the sofa and I try to get up. It's like, oh my goodness, what's wrong with me? Oh, what's wrong with me? I'm getting old. That's what's wrong with me. Now there are times where I like, like I just want to fall asleep in the sofa, right? Cause I don't want to get up because my, my back is hurting, my, my knees are hurting, and, and I just like, oh I wish someone could just like carry me. Carry me. <laughs> but Christian and Emily's not strong enough to carry me anymore. All right. I hope they would someday when I get old and feeble and and, and senile. But it's the subjection, dominance. Okay. And by the way, the Bible is not saying that work is bad. Work is good. Like I said, God called Adam to work before the fall, right? But what happened was when sin came in, work now became a burden. Right? Work became stressful. It wasn't life-giving. That's why I me tell you something, right? If you get a job and you enjoy it, And get paid for it, that is a blessing. Come on. See, our generation, our parents, they don't have that privilege, right? They don't have a a choice what career they want to go to. The problem with most college students now, there's so many choices. You don't know what you want to do. They could be mine, will you? But our generation, our parents, right, they had no choice. They had to just get the job done. They were hustling. They had to work. My, I remember my parents, my dad did, did from gas station to grocery store, store to a liquor store to, to TV repair shop to what else did he do? I don't know. He had much, what, what, an ice cream shop. Oh, that, by the way, that was a blessing. Amen. <laughs> I love going to the ice cream shop. Because I used to work for my mom and dad when I was 12 years old. I didn't have to fund Saturdays. You know what my day Saturday was? To go to the store with my dad, work with him for 12 hours. You laugh. That's why I have such a, 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 a work ethic. Like I could work 12, 14 hours. Not a big deal for me. Yeah, it, was, it, was, you know, it was good training, but you know, it was borderline child abuse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got to tell you the story. Can I tell you this story? All right. My parents... Never pay me minimum wage. You know what he pay me? He always paid me half the minimum wage. You know what my dad promised me? You work for me till you're 18, I'm sorry, 16 years old, and I will buy you a new car. I didn't believe them. I didn't. But I did work for him since I was 12 to 16. And I got paid half the minimum wage. Right? And I turned 16, I got my license. And my dad said, let's go to the car store. Come on, Dad. All right? I still remember my first car that I bought. It was in Cerritos, Toyota dealership. Okay? And my dad said, what kind of car do you want? I said, are you serious? I said, what's the budget, Dad? He said, $10,000. Now, back then, $10,000, this is 1986, guys. With inflation, that's probably worth by $30,000. The first car I saw, and it was, uh, it, like, it, it sung to me, it sing to me. Okay? <laughs> It it's, it's, it's serenaded to me, okay? It was a silver 4x4 Toyota pickup truck, come on. And I didn't even know how to drive a stick. But it was calling to me. Like, it was calling to me, right? So I said, I said, Dad, I want that one. He says, okay, come on. He had two grocery bags, brown grocery bags, brown grocery bags. <laughs> All right, with twenty-dollar packed cash, five thousand in one bag, another five thousand in another bag, and he paid cash for it. I know I work hard for that money, but see, what I'm trying to say is this: work is not always bad. Work is good. <laughs> there is a reward at the end. And by the way, listen, listen, this is important, okay? That's, that is part of the redemptive work God's doing, right? If you find a job or a work that, that you enjoy and you're gifted in and you're called and you're wired to do it and do it well and get paid for it, man, that's a blessing of God. Come on. That's a blessing of God. So when you wake up and the alarm calls on and you're tired and you don't want to go to work, remember... Just remember what Pastor Ed said work is a blessing. Work is a blessing. Why? So you could provide for your family. They you could give to the work of God. I hope some of you become filthy rich. Like filthy rich. Like so rich, right? That we want to send a missionary to another world, another country. You write a check, $100,000, bam, go do your mission work. Come on. Amen. I'm not talking about prosperity gospel here, church. I'm talking about using your, your work and your, your money and your funds and everything you are for the glory of God and the kingdom of God. I mean, you think God's work done by poor people and only poor people? No. Now, poor people have more faith than rich people. They do. Okay. But we need rich people to send the poor people to the mission field. Amen. <laughs> Come on. Are you with me, church? Right? And the resurrection triumphed over the dominance that creation had over man. And then when we come before the Lord in the eternity, right? you know what we're going to be doing? We're going to be working. What work? You know what the work is going to be? Worship. God has created us to do what? Worship him. And worship is work and, and work is worship. And on this earth, everything you do, what did Paul said? Why do we eat or drink? Do it for what? For the glory of God. That's worship. Some of you who are in the medical field and you take care of patients, that's worship. That is, that's taking care of a patient. That is God-like qualities. Amen. Some of you are going to go into, like I was talking to a Life Point guy who was a, a financial broker And who helps people refinance their homes and, you know, to pay off debts. and and, That's worship. You're helping a family to get out of debt, right? You're helping a family to provide for his family. You're you're providing the financial means for able for you to what? To care for others and your family and God and the church. These are worship guys. So work is not a bad four-letter word, okay? It's worship. Finally, let me wrap this up. Fourth and final. Triumph over despair. Triumph over despair. Look at verse 30. Paul says here, Why are we in danger every hour? Why are we? Right? Paul was persecuted. Paul was running from wild animals. He was in danger of Jews and Gentiles in prison and floggings and beatings with rods. And verse 31 says, I protest, brothers... By my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. He said, I die every day. What is he saying? He said, I'm facing death every day, and my body is dying every day. And he says, verse 32, what do I gain? If humanly speaking, what is he saying? If the resurrection didn't take place. If Christ didn't rise from the dead. He's saying, what is the gain? I fought with beasts at Ephesus. I mean, I don't know what... Uh, Paul was into, right, he was into like WWF with animals, I'm not sure, all right, but he was fleeing from the wild with animals, right? He went through so much as an apostle. He said, if the dead are not raised, what does he say? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Paul is saying this, if Christ didn't rise from the dead and there's no life after and there's no resurrection, what, what does all this mean? Let me tell you something. Without the resurrection, suffering doesn't have any meaning. Without the resurrection, trials and difficulty and hardship doesn't mean anything. So if there's no resurrection and Christ didn't rise from the dead, let's just live it up, guys, because this is all we got. This is it. This is it. Let's eat and drink and be merry and be merry to a lot of people. Let's just live it up. This is it, all we have. And you know what, people who live that way, they live and fall into, what, despair. You know, as our economy in America is getting better, the suicide rates have gone higher. Think about it. You know what the number one killer in America today is? Anybody know? Next to, you know, car accidents. Yeah. Drug overdose. Why are young people in America... Shooting something of, of snorking and smoking meth and cocaine and heroin and smoking pot. And why? Why? Because they don't have the hope for the resurrection. If this is all they have, why not get high? Come on. Man, pass me the pot. Amen. No, seriously. If there's no resurrection, if Christ did not rise from the dead, pass me that meth. If this is it, if we're all going to die, end up in the ground, and be part of manure. Why not? What's, what's the big deal? That's what human secular philosophy leads us to. Despair, despondency, depression, and suicide. But see, because Christ rose from the dead, Paul says, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. But he says, wake up from your Drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning, for someone who have no knowledge of God, I say this to your shame. Because the, what, some of the Christians there deny the resurrection, and if Christ did not rise from the dead, and he's still in the grave, and you and I have reason to be despairing, you and I have reason to be cynical, and pessimistic, and fatalistic, and amoral, but if Christ came out of the other side of that grave, and there's eternal kingdom, and there is a heaven, and there is a hell, and you have an ultimate value cuz you and I were created in the image of God, the resurrection changes everything and has triumphed over despair. You see, man cannot survive without hope. But because Christ is alive, and because Christ lives, he is our hope. He's our hope of glory. And no matter how bad things get, no matter how this world gets, God's going to make it right. No matter how troublesome it is, no matter how insoluble man's dilemma is, God is going to make it right when the king comes back. We do not live as those who have no hope. All the injustices will be made just. All the injustices, inequality will be made equitable. All of the wrong will be made right. All of the pain will be turned to bliss. All of the sorrow will turn to joy. And all of the pain and the hurt in this life will one day, Sunday, will be joy unspeakable and full of glory. Because why? There's a life beyond this life in this grave. Because Christ is risen. Let me wrap this up. I don't know who wrote this. I just found the internet, but I, was, I thought it was so good. Let me read it to you. It says author unknown. Maybe I actually take credit for it, right? <laughs> yeah. No, it's so good. I like it. Let me read this for you, okay? The king must lay aside his crown and step down from his throne and lie down beside the beggar in the clogs of the valley. The minister must pronounce his final benediction, close his Bible, and surrender his flock to the great shepherd of the sheep. The judge must change his judicial robe for garments of the grave. The lawyer must write his last brief and his final statement. The author, his last column. The poet, his last verse. The athlete, play his last game. The musician, his last note. The author must play his last scene and leave the stage forever. The laborer must leave his plow in the field, his axe in the wood and give his vigorous framed body to the grave. The soldier must march for the last time and pay the supreme price for liberty in the grim ordeal of war. The mother must leave her child to the deathbed. And the innocent, playful children must drop their toys and with their tiny arms grapple with death. Death comes to every man, every woman. But fear not, for Paul says, O death, where is thy sting? Because Christ is risen. The resurrection triumphs over depravity, over despair, over dominance, and over death. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this time with your people. Thank you, Lord, for the truth of the resurrection. Thank you, Lord, that Christ, you died on the cross.